so beautiful to worship with you. Thank you to the band. Uh, they're doing their part. We're going to talk about our parts today. They're doing their part in serving and giving and loving. And, you know, just think about any time we get together, during any song, any time during the service, if you want to make the place where you sit an altar, that's fine. If you want to come and pray during a song, that's fine. It's, it's okay. You just respond to the Spirit of God. He loves you. We love you here at Sagemont. We sing the song, uh, when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And so we don't try to put parameters around people and say, you got to do it like this. You have to look like this. No, we just want you to be who God made you to be. And when you can resonate with that, when you can surrender and you can bow before him, then he'll make you into what he wants you to be. So we're really glad you're here. It's the weekend after Easter, and I didn't know if we'd have anybody, but we got a few, and so that's good. And these guys are so good that uh, I turned my message uh, title in in the passage, because last week I said, you know, Easter is every day, and the more that I began to share that with people, the more I thought, you know, Easter is what the world calls it. We call it Resurrection Day, and they changed it on the fly up there on the screen, so these guys are doing their part. I mean, so they're doing their part. We're going to talk about what your part is today. I pray that the Lord will use me in doing my part, and remember, when we talk about what is our part in the body of Christ, because we're not the bodies of Christ, we're the body of Christ. So we function in a way that is fitted together jointly that God uses each of us. And so when we think about how God puts us together, we each have to do our part. And when we each do our part, then it says, the text says today that the body grows itself. And we're going to talk about what growth is. Now, I know when I go to pastor conferences, they want to talk about growth and they want to say, how many did you have? Well, here's what I know. God says, with the ones that you have, I care about their spiritual growth. I want to know that they're growing spiritually and not immature. So Paul has a little definition of growth that's different than what we sometimes learn in SBC Life. So Ephesians chapter 3, that's where, uh, 4, excuse me, we're way backing up today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. We're just traveling through the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that we're learning is we're in chapter 4, so the first three chapters were about doctrine, the last three chapters are about duty. The first three were about principles, the last three are about practice. The first three were about beliefs, if you want to say it this way, now that you know what you believe, this is how you behave. So Paul's going to let us know that it's all about instinct over emotion. That's what we're titling this today. So if you're a guest, just go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 through 16, and we're just going to look at the text. Uh, took a little break for Easter the last two weeks, but now we're flowing into what is our purpose? What is instinct over emotion? Now, I follow on, uh, you're going to love me for this, on Facebook, because you know I'm a Facebook junkie. You can just tell I'm into that. I follow this uh, page called, uh, it's called a lion conservatory, and it shows lions in the wild, and it shows them uh, out on hundreds and hundreds of acres. They're protected. Uh, they're, they're lions that are uh, having struggles in some area, and they've been brought into a conservatory for them to be able to roam, for them to get healthy again. And what they say with lions is they they come into what is a creation of a tribe. Uh, not a tribe, but a pride. A pride is their family. So they're able, even as they're scattered abroad in this uh, 150 to 200 acres, acres, they find a pride. They find a family. And so their instinct 
is always over their emotion. They instinctively want to have family. And so no matter what the emotions are, the instinct is their family. And so when I title this instinct over emotions, it's very important in our spiritual lives. Well, one of the lions recently got sick. So they removed the the male lion from his pride, which is his family, and put him in a secluded area because he needed to have surgery. He immediately began to get depressed. He immediately began to shut down. His mane that was full began to shed a lot of uh, uh, hair. So he just looked like he was really struggling because he was created not for emotion, but for instinct. And the instinct is his family. So he had the surgery. He was able to kind of get back on his feet. And they released him back into the gate to get with his pride. But he didn't go do all the warm fuzzies that they would do. Because if you've ever watched lions, they like to rub against each other. They like to huddle against each other. It's kind of interesting to watch them. And so what he did is he instinctively, when the gate opened, the keeper said he started marking his territory. He started looking at the perimeter. He started making sure that everything was okay because I'm now back and I'm now in charge. We can do the lovey-dovey stuff a little later on, but I've got a job to do. I have been created with instinct. And the instinct of a lion is always instinct over emotion. And so once he uh, established the the perimeters and once he established that he was in charge, they had a little party, but it wasn't a long party, and he was back with the pride. Now, I want to say that in setting up the passage that Paul sets up in the Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Because he says, not only are we created in Christ as a new creation, but we've got a new pride. We have a new family. And when each person in the family does their part, it's always instinct over emotion. Let's look at the text. That was for free, by the way. I always give you some free stuff before they start the clock on payment. All right, here we go. So Paul talked about three weeks ago when we were together that the, uh, the job of pastors, and it's, it's, it's the same job description for all of our pastors here. Our job is to, back in verse 12, is to equip the saints... That's those of you who are in Christ for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and that's where we left off. So we talked about that equipping mechanism and how the word equip means to thoroughly furnish. And and my job as a pastor is to make sure that you keep your eyes on him, not on me. That's what we do by equipping. Brother John equips in the 930. I equip in the 1115. Roy Gale is equipping in the Spanish ministry. Stuart equips on Wednesday night. We have iConnect teachers that, that although they may not have the title of pastor, they're still shepherding and equipping their flock. And the only tool, listen to me carefully, the only tool we have for equipping is right here. It's the Word of God. It's not the latest book. It's not the latest phase. It is God's Word. And one of our core values here is we believe in the authority of Scripture. So that's what pastors do. And watch the result of being equipped is something that Paul says is instinct over emotion for all of us. Look at verse 13. Here's what the text says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God... That's two things. 
to a perfect man, that's three, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now there's four things right there in verse 13 when you think of instinct over emotion. When you and I come together and we understand that we have been brought into a family by grace and this family that we've been brought into, we're not uniform, uh, we are unity in Christ. We all have different gifts, we all have different purposes, we all have a different divine design that God has put us on this earth for, but we are in unity because Christ produces unity in our life. And he says the unity that Christ wants to produce in our life, look at the word, till we all come to the unity of the faith. The word till. The word till has a time element in it. And so it's motion and it's movement towards something. That's what it means. It says it's movement or motion towards something. And it says till we all come to the unity of faith. Not till some of us start exercising our faith. Because you see in the church, we have a lot of people that do the work of the ministry while a lot of people sit in the grandstands and are spectators. That's not what Paul says is spiritual growth. What is spiritual growth is when we all, A-L-L, and the word all in the Greek means all. That's what it means, just so you know. And the word till has a time element involved in it. So the idea is like, it's like farming, and I, I know a little bit about farming. The, the farmer has to plant the seed. The farmer has to till the ground. The farmer has to put the seed in straight rows. There's a reason. And he has to spray the field. He has to do different things. But God is the one who's doing the work on his end, but the farmer has to do the work on his end. So it's a 200% relationship. God does all the increase and brings the rain and the sunshine, but it does no good if the farmer isn't participating in the work of till we come. So the farmer plants the seed, he waters the seed, he watches the weather. That's what they do. What farmers, they watch the weather a lot. And so it's till we come. Notice what Paul's saying here. There's a time element involved. Now, salvation, this is important. Salvation is instantaneous. When you trust Christ as your Savior, like these have today or last Sunday, it's a beautiful thing. When you bow before Christ, as the song says, and you trust Him as your Savior, that's instantaneous change that happens in your life. That's a time element that's immediate. It's spontaneous. It's instantaneous. Christ comes in. If you invite him to come in, he says, I will come in. But maturity and spiritual growth is not instantaneous. It takes time to develop. And so that's what Paul is saying. For those of you that are in the faith, there's a time element. It's like farming. Till we all come, look at the text, to the unity of the faith. The word unity speaks of Christ. It speaks of Christ and his followers. So if you want unity, don't put people in the same room and say, oh, uh, let's make the music unifies, because we have different styles of music, different preferences of music. We have them here in Sagemont. If you come on Wednesday night, if you come on Sunday at 9.30, 11.15, or you go to Roy's service, we have different styles of music. And that's a wonderful thing. It gives you options. But listen to me. Music does not unify us. What unifies us is our relationship to Christ. Do you understand that? 
So when you come to whatever service you come to, you come to the service and say, the unifying factor is the Spirit of God in my life. And we have great music in all of our services. It's a wonderful thing. But you can't say, let's all rally around uh, the music, or let's all rally around the younger people, or let's all rally around the older people, or the seasoned people, or the veterans, whatever you want to call us. Let's rally around, look what the text says, let's have our unity come from the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the unifying factor. Is that not right? That's what unifies us. Churches are so divided today on music and doctrine and the color of the carpet and the service styles that we're going to have. Can we just get back to the basics and say, you know what, what unifies me is that Christ is in you and Christ is in me, and we give preference to one another, and we don't let little peripheral issues divide us. Christ unifies us. Let me see if I can give you an example. You'd have to be a little older to understand this one, but I think I can even bring it down to the level where a teenager can understand. I think I can. So, when I first went to be a pastor in Tennessee, this was about 14 years ago now, uh, they said all the pastors before them went to the Southern Baptist Convention, and the church pays for the pastor and his wife to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. And not only do they pay for us to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, they put us in a certain hotel so we can hobnob with all the top pastors in the area because they want their church to be known among the top pastors in Knoxville, Tennessee area. So I said, okay, here's what I said. Since you're paying, I'll go. That's what I said. And I did. But when I got back, I told them I will never, ever, ever go again. Now you say, Freeman, that doesn't sound very merciful. I thought you had the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching, the gift of mercy. I do. But mercy doesn't mean you sweep things under the rug. Mercy means when you speak the truth, you just do it in love. That's what mercy does. So I came back, and I went to a Southern Baptist convention, and I'm trying to explain this word, unity of the faith. And I thought, all of the Southern Baptists will be unified. We'll be at Greenville, South Carolina, in this big auditorium. Tony Evans is speaking. David Jeremiah. Matt Chandler, I think, was speaking in one of the breakout sessions. Um, David Platt, some other people. So there were some good lineups. But we had this one session where there were two different theological positions that were presented in a room of a 1,000 people. And you'd have thought we'd have dropped a bomb in there. Because you had one person arguing this side of the doctrine, and you had another person arguing this side of the doctrine, and we went out of that room disunified. Everybody was fussing. Everybody was fighting. And then we went into a bigger room where they actually vote on issues, and everybody was upset, and nobody was unified. And I went back to my church. I promise you God is my witness. I will never step foot in another meeting like that again and waste your money. I want to preach Christ, and I want to preach that Christ unifies. I don't have time for the silly stuff. And I never went again. And I saved the church thousands of dollars for the hotel they were putting me in. (laughs) Yes, sir. I told them to funnel it another way for my vacation. But, (laughs) now, here's my point. And I'm I'm trying to, I want to make sure that we understand at Sagemont, we're unified under the banner of Jesus Christ himself, the crucified Son of God who loves all of us. We may see things differently. We may look at things differently. We may have different styles of music, but we rally around Christ. Christ is our unifier. Paul says when you grow up, when you mature, he says, look at the text, till the time element, we all come to the unity 
of the faith. In other words, when you exercise faith, when I exercise faith, when you exercise trust, I exercise trust and faithfulness into God, then he begins to unify us around the faith that he has given us in salvation. And then he says, look at the text, and the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God. The word for knowledge means full knowledge. It means knowledge through and through. It means experiential knowledge. Now notice what he says in the text. The knowledge of the Son of God, not about the Son of God. I've been around people that can dot their theological T's, uh, I mean, their theological I's. They can cross their theological T's, and they're as orthodox as the devil. They know Scripture about the Son of God, about the Son of God. You can ask them, and they can give you Scripture about the Son of God, but they have no knowledge of, look at the text, of the Son of God because of the things that they're involved in. You would think that people wouldn't go after the last phase it is of something that's new out there because God's already spoken on human sexuality. So I have people who say, I believe in Jesus and I believe in his word, yet they get sidetracked by different theologies and different voices and the voices of popularity. So maybe they have a knowledge about the son of God, but they don't have a knowledge of the son of God. That's experiential knowledge. So Paul says for us to grow up in the faith, to be mature, we have to have a knowledge not about the Son of God, but a knowledge of the Son of God. The way that you get that is you get yourself under the teaching of God's Word. In an iConnect class, in a home, gr- uh, boot, uh, home group Bible study, uh, in some area where you're under the influence of the Word of God. Now watch this. It's one thing for me to teach you and you to receive something from this message. So it comes from God, it flows through me, and it touches you. But you need to read the Word of God and study the Word of God for yourself. So you can get a direct connection with God and say, I want the knowledge of the Son of God, not about the Son of God. So that's what the text says. By God's design, He has created a family and an atmosphere where we come to the unity of the faith. We do that Because we experience, look at the text, the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. See what the text says? The word for perfect means one that is growing. Not who has received perfection, but one that is moving in the right direction. God is concerned about the direction that you're going. That's what the perfect man means. It means a mature man. It means a man that grows up or a woman that grows up in the faith. So they get in the word of God. So God's design and God's will for your life is that you would grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. In the unifying factor of the faith that he gives us to believe. And that's important to understand. So God's desire for you and for me is that we would do his will. We can't do his will unless we're surrendered to the word of God. And so when we're surrendered to the word of God, we can do his will. And then God places his desires in our life so that we can do what he wants us to do. But our tendency is we want to do what we want to do. I want to want to do what I want to do. God's word says, no, I have placed my desire in you. So Freeman, you don't have to do what you want. You can do what I want you to want. And I actually put the wanter inside of you. So God's desire is for me to want what he wants. And what God wants me to want And what he wants you to want is to operate out of instinct over emotion and understand that we're to grow up in the faith. We're to grow up in the knowledge of him.
this is going to be a long sermon because I'm not even out of verse 13. If you get finished before I do, raise your hand. All right, I saw that hand. We're real good about, I saw thousands, I saw thousands. Okay, so here's what the text says. I want to make sure you get this. I want to make sure today, and I'm saying this because I'm preaching to myself, I want to make sure we not only read the Word of God, I want to make sure that the Word of God reads us. I want to make sure the Word of God reads us and convicts us where we are falling short in this. So he says the perfect man is the mature man. In other words, when we come into maturity of the faith, God's design in our life begins to flesh out as we surrender to his will. Like the purpose of a hammer is to nail a nail. The purpose of pliers, because you don't have a hammer, is not to nail the nail because you'll go through the hole in the pliers and you won't hit the nail. So a hammer is designed to nail the nail into the wood. And so what God is saying is that we have a lot of pliers in the body of Christ who are trying to nail the nail, but that's not the design of the pliers. The design of the hammer is to hammer the nail into the wood. God has a design for you. Where you have a hammer, I've got nails. Where there's a crack, somebody has the putty. And so together we work in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God so that we can come together and we can understand that we are maturing and growing in Christ. Now, here's what the text says. The last part of verse 13, to the measure of the stature, look at it, of the fullness of Christ. Paul's already told us the fullness is in Christ. I have all the fullness in Christ in me that I'm ever going to get. I don't have to get another dose of Christ. When I received Christ as my Savior, all of Him came into me. All of Him saved me. All of His grace touched me. So now, I have experienced the fullness of Christ. I believe that. But now when I behave like that, the fullness of Christ begins to be released through my life and it touches you. And the fullness of Christ in your life, released through you, touches me. So we're better together. That's what Paul's saying. When we grow into maturity, we'll be exercising our gifts together and all of the glory, as Brother John says, will always go to him. You never point toward somebody's gift. You always point toward the giver of the gifts and that's God. He's the one that gives them. So verse 13 is absolutely huge and it's such an important message for us at Sagemont. Now, here we are in verse 14. If you're not mature and you're not growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, and you're not coming into the unity of faith, and you're not maturing in Christ, here's what will happen to you. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. See, children are tossed to and fro because children can't stay focused, right? And children have instability. They're, they're up, they're down, they're tossed to and fro. So he gives us a child illustration, and then he gives us an illustration from sea life. So we should no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every little new thing that comes out, every little article that's posted, every little Facebook post, every little tweet, every little new something, every little bit of new work. You know, everything is a little bit of something extra. And everybody wants us to buy into it's Jesus plus this that makes you okay. Or Jesus plus this article that really makes you okay. And Jesus plus this will really make you okay. You go to this conference, man, you you are going to be somebody. You can pass your resume out and you'll find you a church at this conference. Listen, it's Jesus plus nothing. He is everything. It's just him. It is just him. 
And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. When you put your roots down in a stabilizing force in the fullness of Christ, you won't be tossed to and fro. How many people used to come here and used to be grounded and rooted in the Word of God, but some doctrine that they read about, thought about, saw, somebody pulled them away. Have you ever heard of the prosperity gospel? I'm going to get an email, and you know I delete them. I don't care. I don't care. Listen, I'm old enough now, I don't really care anymore. I just don't care. But here's the deal. Here's what the New Age movement is about. Here's what the New Age movement is about. It's not about the Spirit of God falling on your life and falling on my life and God working through us and God working for us and God working in us. That's not the New Age movement. Let me tell you what the New Age movement focuses on. The human spirit. You lift yourself up. You do things yourself. That's the opposite of what the Bible says. The, the prosperity message is that your theology is just health and wealth. And if you don't, you know, if, 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 if you ever get sick or you ever go through financial trouble, then, then that gospel fails you because that gospel is nonsense. And I can tell you why. Because the people that were in the Bible, they got beaten and killed for their faith. Don't talk to me about a health and wealth gospel. They were persecuted for their faith. I know that. You can see it in the scriptures. So this health and wealth gospel, the prosperity messages point to us rather than point to the Spirit of God who gives us freedom in Him. And so people start moving away from the truth of God's Word and they get hooked into some thinking or some philosophy that reels them and wants them to depend on them. Now that's important to understand. So Paul is saying, listen, if you're not grounded in the Word of God, an immature Christian, if you're taking notes, is a dangerous one. Because you get tossed to and fro. When you have wrong doctrine, you're going to get blown off course. There's a lot of people that have gotten blown off course. Listen, the culture is always changing. And the culture is always moving the line of the standard of God's Word. Why would I listen to a world who crucified Jesus Christ and let them give me wisdom? No way. I don't need to be tossed to and fro. What I need every morning is to bow before the one who gave the eternal word of God and said this is the standard of God's word and this is the eternal plumb line and this line doesn't move. The culture may move. The culture may get right up against the line. But the line doesn't move. God's word does not move. So my life and your life does not have to be tossed to and fro when we're building our lives on the truth of God's word. So he says there's trickery. There are people that are cunning. There are people that are crafty. And that's what he's saying in verse 14. So the immature person is always drawn away by whatever is new, the next new thing. This is the best book I've ever read. I have some wonderful friends, and God love them and God bless them. But they just are only as good as the last thing they've posted. They are. Hey, have you heard of this? Hey, you got to go to this con. No, listen, I have Christ. I don't need anything else, and I don't need to put my head in the sand, and I don't need to say that this method won't work, but I am not looking for the next thing. I already have the main thing in my life. I just need to focus on what God has already told me. Right? Now watch this, because here's where it comes, where the rubber meets the road. Verse 15. I'm watching the time. So are you. Now he says, but speaking the truth, 
in love. The idea in the Greek is truthing in love. So Paul says, when you're mature, you don't just speak truth, you speak it in love. And then he says that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, and that's Christ. So write this down. Truth without love is harshness. Man, I know people that, man, they speak truth, but man, they're mean and angry and frustrated to listen to because they just speak truth. And I'll tell you what, I'm just going to tell you the truth. No, you're not. You're going to tell me the truth, and you're going to wrap it in your flesh because Christ wouldn't present it that way. That's what I tell them. And then I repent of my attitude toward the person. (laughs) So truth without love is harshness, but listen, love without truth is an absence of standards. Love without truth is an absence of standards. Another way to say it, truth without love is perceived as condemnation, but love without truth is compromise. So Paul says, I want to put these two together and I want you to truth, truthing in love with the two together. See, you can't tell the truth, listen, if you don't know the truth. You can't tell the truth, you can't speak the truth in love unless your life is grounded in the truth. So that the more that your life is grounded in the truth, the more that you can truth in love and you can speak the truth and you can wrap it in love. That's what Paul says. Speak the truth, but do it in a loving manner. Do it as Christ would. doesn't mean you don't confront sin. It doesn't mean you don't confront situations, but you do it, you truth in love. So I can't love you unless I speak the truth. And you can't love me unless you speak the truth. But watch this. Paul says we're to truth in love. I can't love you unless I know you. And you can't know me, love me unless you know me. That's why Paul is saying we're the instinct over emotion. We're the body of Christ. We are in this thing together. So one of our challenges, one of our goals in a big church is that we truth and love in smaller situations and we truth and love in relationships. And we herd together because we're the body of Christ. So that's what Paul is saying here. It's a beautiful thing how he does it. So we have the ministry of the Word, that's truth, but we also have the ministry to one another. Let me tell you the difference. What I'm doing right now is a ministry to one another. If you raise your hand, I'll ignore you. I'm speaking, you're listening. But if you go to a connection class, it's ministry one to another, right? So in 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 an iConnect class, I'm assuming if you're teaching, you could raise your hand and ask a question because I was an iConnect teacher before I came in here, and that's what would happen in our class. So there's a ministry of one to the other. There's a time for that, and this is the time where we speak the truth in love. But then there's a ministry one to another, and I can't love you with truth unless I know you in love. And it's vice versa. So Paul is saying something here that's beautiful. Churches split all the time over silly stuff. And if they could just go to Ephesians 4 and speak the truth in love and grow up in him who is the head, they could have revival. Now, so you can be in an iConnect group, You can be in a home group. You can be in a weekday Bible study. We've got all kinds of opportunities for you to connect. Now, we're coming home, and I want you to catch this in verse 16. Paul is talking about in 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which, here it is, every part does its share. That's you. Every part, everybody in here is valuable. Each person matters. And that causes... Look at the text. 
that causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How many did we have today? I have no idea. They count. But here's what I know. God says spiritual growth is different than numerical growth. Just because you have a crowd doesn't mean people are growing spiritually. You go spiritually when you, every person does their part. That's why we're constantly telling you around here, find a place to serve, find a place to serve. Ushering in this service is a place to serve. It's an easy one. You can do that. See Scott Sagner. But every person must do his part or her part. And that's how the body grows. Because the text says, look at 16, from the whole body, look at this, joined and knit together. That you are fitted, look at this, you are fitted next to somebody who's already fitted in Christ. And they're already joined in Christ. So we're fitted together, and as we're fitted together, as every joint supplies, and as God gives the increase, then we grow and mature in Christ. And we do that as a family, because this is our tribe. It's instinct over emotion. So what we've got to be, listen carefully, we've got to be committed to the cause. Of Christ committed see when you're committed to unity and you're committed to spiritual growth you are really at the point where you understand salvation because this is important to understand God in conversion creates a unified people God in conversion creates a unified people and then that unified people are committed to one another because God is committed to me and because God is committed to me and he's attached himself to me and I've attached myself to him. Watch this. At the same time, I've also attached myself to you. We're in this thing together. Do you understand that? It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Christ, but we are better together. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a part. And Paul says when we each do our part, when we each use our gift, then God is the one that gives the increase. So when you're committed, if you put $5 in your child's hand, you don't send his hand to the store. You send him to the store. That's what commitment is. You don't, send, you don't put money in an offering envelope and say, hope y'all are doing well. No. In fact, we don't even pass the offering plate. We, we, we have offering receptacles. If you feel led to give, that's fine. But we don't pass the offering plate around here because we believe that God actually speaks to his people and tells them what to give. We don't have to tell you what to give. You give what God tells you to give, and you'll be obedient to him. That's a side note. But that's basically talking about commitment. So when you're committed, watch this. When you're committed to Christ, and I'm committed to Christ, then I'm also committed to you and you're committed to me. And your walk with God affects my walk with God, and my walk with God affects your walk with God. So if we're going to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world, if we go out of here and live Monday through Saturday like Jesus doesn't exist, it affects me and it affects you, and it affects the people around you. So our job is to grow up in Him who is the head and to have a commitment. You say, I'm committed today. Well, don't measure your commitment by the yardstick of other saints. Don't measure your commitment by the yardstick of other saints. If they're giving 80% and you're giving 20%, you know, God's not impressed. He wants 100% of you. Commitment. That's what he's saying here. Commitment is an all or nothing. Commitment in verse 16 means that we walk in agreement with Christ. That's what he's saying. So we're fitted together. Everybody's doing their part. Everybody's moving together. Everybody's doing something. 
for the cause of Christ to be advanced. So you are valuable here. We have a little card in front of you. It says each person matters. And you just fill it out. If you're a member, we're updating our information. Just drop that in those buckets as you leave because we want to make sure at least we have right information. Let me see if I can explain it like this. We're not me-centered. We're other-centered. When I go to the gym, when I used to, I'm the member of several gyms for a lifetime. <laughs> but yet my temple is growing. And so what my goal is to set my Bible on my temple. So, but if you go to the gym, let me show you how selfish this is. When you go to the gym, it's me-centered. I will get on that treadmill. I will do it for five minutes. I will go get in the hot tub. I will leave and go to the parking lot because it is all about me. But when we talk about Christianity and we talk about the body of Christ being mature, it's not me-centered, it's not Jim-centered, it's Christ-centered, and it's other-centered. That's what Paul is saying here. So he's saying that we're fitted together, and then when we're fitted together, what causes the growth of the body is Christ himself working in and through us. So rather than being tossed to and fro by all this wind of doctrine, let me give you a picture of a sailboat. A sailboat, when it has a sail, I used to think that the wind would hit the sail and push the sailboat forward, but that's not actually true according to physics, and I took it three times. What's true about a sail with a sailboat is the sailboat, there's a negative vacuum that's created with the sail, and the sail is actually drawn into the, uh, the negative vacuum, and it pulls and moves that sailboat forward, and so rather than being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, we are actually as we cause the body of Christ to grow as we use our gifts, we're actually drawn into godly living by Christ Himself. And we are moving in a direction and a motion that pleases Him and blesses other people. So that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying it's instinct over emotion. Let me close with this. Next week we'll get into some really interesting stuff about our lives, but this is so important that we understand this. There's a movie called The Miracle. And in 1980, it was based on a true story, Russia dominated the hockey world. Dominated the hockey world. The U.S. was going to the Olympics, and we weren't even on the map as a hockey team. We had not had anybody to draw from. We did not have any teams that were any good. So what happened was, in the 1980s, because Russia was so good, we took a different approach. And the coach said... I'm not going to get people that are professionals to come play at the Olympics. What I'm going to get is 21-year-olds who play college hockey. I'm going to get some bad boys that know how to get beat up and have some passion. And what they did was they drew uh, from two hockey schools that were very good. The problem with the hockey schools is they were rivals. And so when the coach is getting out there, the coach is getting out there and he's having them run drills and they're, running, they're, they're skating up and down the ice and they're doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing. These teams were, were fleshing out their frustration and fleshing out all of their pain of the past and fleshing out all of those difficult situations that they experienced as a rival. So the coach got so fed up with it. And one of the hinge points of the movie is after one of the practices, he just made them go back and forth on the ice, back and forth. They were vomiting. They were throwing up. They were saying things they shouldn't say. And finally, his medic said, don't let them do this anymore. They're going to die. 
And finally, he looked at one of the skaters, initiated the conversation. He said, hey, coach. Coach said, yes. And he said, who are we? And the coach said, who are we? Who are we? And the hockey player said this. It was the hinge point of the movie. We are the United States of America. And and that's where it all changed. And he said, then let's start playing like a team. Now, here's what I want to say to you. We are not the United States of America. We are the body of Christ. Let's lay our baggage. Let's lay our differences. Let's lay any racial tension that we may have, and I don't know of any, but let's lay everything aside and say we belong to Christ, and we want to see the miracle of Christ winning victory in people's lives, and we want to do our part. Envision is not going to be because somebody gives a mammoth gift. Envision is going to be because each of us get before God and we pray about what our part is in envision. And together, we can see the body of Christ grow. I want to encourage you today. I want to leave you with hope today to say, let's be who God made us to be. You're valuable. You're loved here. But you can't sit on the grandstands. You've got to get on the playing field. You've got to sweat with me. You've got to work with me. You've got to bleed with me. We've got to bleed together. And you know what? When we work and harness all of our energy around Jesus Christ, our differences aren't that big of a deal anymore. Well, I really like this, or I think we ought to do this. You know what? We'll be so busy on the field skating that we won't have time for little silly stuff, will we? And I'm not saying we have any issues around here. I probably got the issues. I'm an issue myself. I know that. But here's what I know. God saved me not only from sin, but he saved me from me. Because I was heading in a life of destruction. And if you're here this morning and you're skating the wrong way, and you're skating into sin, and you're enjoying your sin, and you're loving your sin, I got good news for you. If you'll just stop and repent and bow and turn to Him, He'll save you today just like He saved me. And He'll place you in the body of Christ. Some of you need the miracle of salvation. And Jesus can save you. Just say, Jesus, save me today. Save me from myself. Save me from my sin. Now watch this. Once you're saved, if you're already saved in this room, here's your prayer. God, I still need a miracle. And the miracle is, I don't want to be me-centered. I want to be other-centered and you-centered. And God can do that. God can take selfish people and make them giving people. He can make stewardship a part of our life. So we love you here at Sagemont. Would you bow and pray with me this morning? Oh, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the text. Thank you that we can operate out of our identity, as Misty said earlier, as we were singing that song, I am who you say I am. That's the title of the message. We operate instinctively in who we are in Christ rather than emotionally. So Father, I pray today for anybody in this room who hasn't trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that they would just, in this moment, make the place where they sit an altar. And I pray that in the quietness of these moments as the band plays that we can just understand how big you are and how great you are and how awesome you are. And I pray if there's one person in here who's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that they would just receive the free gift that they can't earn. 
It's, it's what you did for us, Jesus, on the cross. I pray that you would give life to dead people today so that they can get up out of their seat when we leave this service and say, I have really been set free. Just receive Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me by your grace. If you're already saved, here's the prayer you need to pray. God, do the miracle of me blessing others, serving others, and not being me-centered anymore. Let your life shine through me so that I can make sure that the conversion that happened in my life is fleshed out as everybody does their part. Everybody in here is valuable. We thank you and love you today, Jesus. Whatever decision you need to make, you make it before the Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.